Welcome, and thank you for joining with us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve wraps up his sermon series from the book of Colossians of the Christian's Greatest Need with today's message entitled, The New Qualities, found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Good morning. All right, so turn over with me to the book of Colossians. I'm excited to say that we are making real progress through the Word, and we find ourselves ending the book of Colossians this morning. So Colossians chapter 4, where we last left off last week, book of Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be picking up this morning in verse 2, all the way down to verse 18 to finish out this letter, this book. And then on to our next one as we finish up our series through the prison epistles. So before we do that, let's stand together. We'll give honor to God's word. We'll read the scriptures. And then we'll be seated and see what the Spirit of the Lord has to share with us this morning. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. It says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. All my state shall Tukikos declare to you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent to you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known to you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Marcus. Sister, son of Barnabas, concerning whom you receive commandments. If he come to you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers to the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, which is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are at Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. The greeting or salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word here that we just read and that we endeavor to look more closely into. I pray that you would meet us here in this place and that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our understanding, that we will be able to just leave from here with a surface comprehension, but enough, Lord, to make us 
doers of the word. That is our chief aim, Lord, is to leave from this place applying the scriptures, not just hearing the scriptures. So we just pray that you would teach us and that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be powerful upon our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In my readings, I come across uh, many people. I like to read about guys that have been alive in the 1700s, the 1800s, even the 1900s. And uh, because they didn't have as much stuff as we have today with computers and all these distractions, smartphones. And so they, they mainly had parchments or books and papers and their thoughts. And this one guy that I, I've read often, uh, he has this, this philosophy or this principle. He says that you should always watch for subjects. He was a guy that loved nature and going out for hikes. And he would go out for hikes and he would watch for subjects, subjects that could illustrate truths from the scripture. But there's one subject that comes to my mind that I think is appropriate for our study this morning in the book of Colossians. It is the subject of a caterpillar to a butterfly. And many of us are familiar with the process that a caterpillar, caterpillar has to take to become a butterfly, which is the metamorphosis. It is the transformation, the change, or you've even heard a scientific term, the chrysalis. And this is when the caterpillar goes into his cocoon and becomes a soupy mess to come out as this amazing creature, this insect, this butterfly. Now, what's so interesting about the butterfly is that when the caterpillar becomes this butterfly, he takes on whole new different qualities than he was when he was a caterpillar. He doesn't have the same appetite anymore. In fact, he doesn't hang out in the same places where he used to hang out before. And his focus is a little bit different than the caterpillar altogether. His mindset has been transformed. He never goes back to being a caterpillar again. Instead, he becomes something completely different. Just like our lives and just like what the Lord expects with us. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're one way. When we accept his forgiveness and his free gift of salvation, we become something brand new. Romans 12, 2, it tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's where we get that English word, metamorphosis. To become different, become new. And this is very in line with our message this morning. The past couple of weeks, we have been talking about the new identity. Last week, the new community. This week, we're talking about the new qualities. The new qualities that the Lord has for us. That's the title of our message. The new qualities. And everything has to do with being in Jesus Christ. Remember, the whole series that we've been going over in the book of Colossians, we titled it, The Christian's Greatest Need. And the Christian's greatest need is Jesus Christ himself, who is the cornerstone. He's the stone that is set in place from which we value it because it helps our structure erect upright. And it also ensures that we're able to be developed and as, as we come in close proximity to this cornerstone. Furthermore, as we pivot our lives off of the cornerstone, off of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seeing 
that we could have this new identity, that we have this new identity, that we have this new community of believers that we're supposed to be a part of. And lastly, the new qualities. Remember, the writer of this letter has probably never seen the faces of these people. And here he is getting ready to write his last few words of this letter that is going to go out to these people. And he's just got finished explaining what it means to be a Christian, this new identity. And what it means to be in a community with other believers. How you're supposed to conduct yourself, handle yourself. But now the new qualities, the disciplines, the things that make you unique. How do you excel in those things? The new qualities. So here we go. Colossians chapter 4. And I broke it up for us so that we could understand all the way, everything that he's trying to say, thought for thought. But in verse 2 to 6, we're going to see how to live with purpose in the Lord. In verses 7, all the way down to verses 14, we're going to see how to walk with people of the Lord. And lastly, in verses 15 to 18, we will see how to have a focus with passion. For the Lord, how to live with purpose in the Lord, how to walk with people of the Lord, and how to focus with passion for the Lord. So here we are, verse 2, as we finished verse 1 last week, verse 2, it says, continue in prayer, watch in the same with thanksgiving. The apostle goes to Prayer. He immediately shifts after he explains about being in this new community. He jumps right into prayer. The very last words, the lasting words. And these are words that we should hold on to. And he says, continue in prayer. The word continue can be translated, devote yourself to prayer. He says, you need to be praying. And you also must watch in the same thing. That means to give strict attention to to prayer with thanksgiving you have to be in prayer now prayer we have to understand the connection of all these thoughts prayer is the means by which we can do what it says in colossians chapter 3 verse 1 he says if you then be risen with christ seek those things which are above where christ sits on the right hand of god so prayer is the means by which we can seek the things where christ sits the things of which are on the right hand of the Father. This is, what, this is how we get to those things, through prayer. By seeking the Lord's face in prayer. Prayer is none other than a communication. That's what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. It's talking to God. It's having a dialogue with God. Sometimes it's a monologue as we offer our supplications and requests to the Lord. And other times it is praying to Him about the needs or the things that we're facing and listening to him from the word. And the prayer is the means by which we seek the Lord, by which we seek the things where Christ sits. And Paul wants the believers to know that you have to be praying. Gang, we wouldn't understand this fully if we didn't pay attention to the setting that this letter resides in. Remember, this was the first century. This was back in Acts chapter 2 and sometime later. This is 10, maybe 15, 20 years out, but this is in the first century. And the believers had a, 
they were acclimated to prayer. They understood the need for prayer. In fact, prayer was a staple to the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. This is what the believers did. When they got together with each other, they chopped it up. Everybody gave handshakes, hugs. They talked about each other's lives. They had a meal together. They went over the word of God and they prayed. This was a regular thing for the believers. Whenever they got together, they prayed. They sought the Lord. We need to pray about this. This wasn't a last resort. This was the first resort. It wasn't secondary. It was primary to the believer. And this is what Paul is saying to the believers that he, that he has never seen and that he probably would never see. He says, you have to be people of prayer. You must seek the Lord's face. Prayer was a staple for the early church. Prayer was also an essential for leaders of the early church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it tells us that there was a problem there in Acts chapter 6, first, to, first and foremost, that some of the believers felt like they were being discriminated. So rather than protest or take it to court, they took it to the leaders of the church. The leaders heard them. They heard them out on what, what was needed to be done. And this was all over food and people not getting a certain portion and a certain amount. And they came in Acts chapter 6 verse 4 and said, Look, we, we, can't, we can't separate ourselves from the word of God. It says, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the word. We can't serve the tables. We can't do all these things. We have to do the main things. And the main thing is prayer and the word of God. I love the order in that verse too. Because sometimes we tend to put prayer last. We're like, well, you don't really have to pray. Like, you just do all these other things first. And then you seal it off with prayer. You know, like, you put your letter in the envelope. And then you lick it and you close it off. That's prayer. No, prayer is the first thing. The believer said prayer and then the word of God is what we give ourselves to. That is the essential order. Seeking the Lord's face. Hearing from the Lord. That is it right there. And prayer was an essential thing for the leaders of the early church. It was a staple for the early church. And gang, it is vital for this church right now. We need prayer. We need to be people of prayer. But sadly, prayer is the last thing that people want to be a part of. Because, you know, most people say it's boring or sometimes people come in and they say, I don't know how to pray. I remember there was a, uh, there was a guy that was a brother in the fellowship a long time ago and um, from the church where we came from. And I, I remember we were, we were in this Bible study, this men's Bible study, and I asked him if he would pray. I said, hey, why don't you pray for us real quick? And, and he said, he was like, he was looking at me and I could tell that he was having a hard time. And uh, someone else just went ahead and prayed. He came up to me afterwards and says, man, I don't think that's right what you did. I said, what, what did I do to you? He said, you asked me to pray. I mean, show me where that is in the Bible. I mean, where people have to be forced to pray. I said, well, I wasn't forcing you to pray. I was giving you an opportunity to pray. And he said, well, I, I just don't see where people have to pray. Look, we, we spent about a good half an hour talking, and we got down to it. That he just didn't feel comfortable because he was comparing himself to other people. And he said, my prayers are not eloquent like that guy over there. And what if I sound foolish? And, and so we got down to the bottom line. It was 
that it's not really about how eloquent you sound. It just comes from the heart. You know, but some of us, we don't know how to pray. And so that causes us to stay away from prayer. Corporate prayer meeting? No way. I don't want them to hear what I have to say. I don't even know what I'm saying half of the time. Why would I go and join the believers in prayer? But gang, this was a vital part of the church. It is no longer a vital part of the church. We don't see this as a necessity. I love how uh, Jim Cimbala up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, he said early on in his ministry there at the uh, the uh, tabernacle, um, he said that early on they were trying to figure out their way and what type of church they would be. And God told them that if you seek my face, I will bless this place. And so now their Tuesday night prayer meeting is the largest, more than any other, any other meeting. People wait and, and, and lines that wrap around blocks just to go to the Tuesday night prayer meeting. And I had a chance one time at a pastor's conference to hear Pastor Jim uh, speak. And Pastor Jim is all about the word of God for sure. But he is serious about seeking the Lord's face. And he had us in there as pastors and said, look, all you guys know about three songs and a message. I'm not trying. We need to seek the Lord's face in here. We need to get on our knees. We need to pray for repentance. We need to pray for power. And I, I just really sense, it's not about feeling and sensationalism, but I really got a sense of the spirit of the Lord being in there because this was a man that was dedicated to prayer. This is what the apostle is saying here, is that we have to be dedicated and devoted to prayer. Every time we come together as believers, we should be looking for prayer. My pastor did that to me all the time. I talked to him on the phone every time. We get on the phone. Let me pray with you real quick. Always. I go to one of my other close friends. I bring a problem to him. The first thing he says out of his mouth is not. So you know the solution to this. Let's talk. He says, let's pray. Let's just seek the Lord. Let's pray about this. God could do something. And this is what he's trying to instill in the believers that they have to be people of prayer that they have to go and seek the things which belong to Jesus Christ and look what he says in verse 3 he says with all praying for us also that God would open to us a door of utterance that means a door so that they can speak to speak the mystery of Christ from which I am also in bonds that I may make it clear or manifest or reveal as I ought to speak. He says, look, praying, you guys got to be prayer warriors, but also pray for us too, because we want doors in this place. Remember, he's a prisoner of Rome. It's not like he's walking around in freedom. He's a prisoner, yet he's looking for opportunities. And whatever state that he finds himself in, He's looking for opportunities. He's asking for prayer for opportunities. He's not looking at the restriction. He only sees the possibilities. This is a man that is dedicated to the Lord. No matter what his situation, he wants to be used by the Lord. And so he says, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray that we'll have the right words at the right time. In his book, D.L. Moody on Spiritual Leadership, Steve Miller, the author, he writes in that book about D.L. Moody being a man that was dedicated to prayer. You never heard of Dwight Lyman Moody. He was a man that lived back in the 1800s. God did a great work through him in Chicago, through many youth. 
and his ministry continues on today. If you ever hear Moody uh, Bible uh, uh, publishers or, or anything, they have a broadcast as well, a radio station. Uh, they also have a Bible college, Moody Bible Institute. And so that's Dwight Lyman Moody. But this was a man that was dedicated to prayer. And if he was here, he wouldn't want us talking about him right now because he was a man that was dedicated to the Lord as well. But Steve Miller said in that book that a strong prayer life will result in a stronger ministry. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. You see, most ministries that that are rocking and rolling, that you, you, like, how are they making those inroads? How are they reaching these peoples? Because they are dedicated to prayer. The entire fellowship, not just the leaders, but the believers, dedicated to prayer. It was Charles Spurgeon who also said that a prayerful church is a powerful church. Now this man, I, I've heard stories that this, these people came into his church one day and, uh, this man was standing there in the sanctuary with overalls on. He looked like he was doing work. And they asked him, said, Sir, we're here visiting and we just wanted to come to the Metropolitan Tabernacle over here in England. And we wanted to check it out because we heard so much about this place and the famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He said, Really? They said, This place is magnificent. He said, I know. But do you want to know the the most essential part of this place? Do you want to know the secret of this place? They said, well, oh, man, we want to know the secret. I mean, we have a personal tour guide to tell us the secret. He said, follow me. And they went downstairs to the basement through a series of tunnels, passing the boiler room. It was hot, no air conditioning. They didn't have much of that back in the 1800s. And they're walking down there, very uncomfortable, very tight spaces, and he leads them to a door. And he, he says, I want to show you something. He said, this is the engine room. This is the room that makes this place go. And he opened the door, and there was a bunch of believers in there seeking the Lord's face, praying for the Sunday service. They were so amazed and overwhelmed at the example. They came back the next morning for service, and the man in the overalls was the man preaching from the pulpit, Charles Spurgeon himself. And he said that this is the thing that makes this place go is prayer. A prayerful church is a powerful church. Now, it doesn't take hundreds of believers to be a prayerful church. It just takes committed hearts seeking the Lord and seeking His face. Because naturally in the day that we live in where we don't value prayer, there's only going to be a small percentage of the people that will be seeking His face like this for so long. We've had prayer meetings when I was growing up as a Christian at, at the church where we came from, and it was only a handful of people. Though the church was, was maybe 200 strong, it was only about 10, 15 people that showed up regularly for the once-a-month corporate prayer meeting. We get busy. We don't think it's that important, but it is important. This is what he tells us as the new quality, is that we have to live with purpose in the Lord, and that purpose begins with prayer. We have to seek the Lord's face. Now notice what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. He says, walk in wisdom towards those that are without. That means non-believers, outside of the body of Christ. He tells us to walk. Walk around in wisdom, redeeming the time. Listen, walking wisely is not walking obliviously. 
but walking intentionally. That's what walking wisely is all about. It's being intentional. You're, you're not just wasting time. That's why he says redeeming the time. That means to buy back the time. Capitalize on the time. Take advantage of the time. And in order for you to do that, you have to be a person that knows the time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. What does that tell us? It says that there is a time and purpose for everything under heaven. There is a time set for everything under heaven. Time is not this elusive thing that we just don't know about. No, time can be recognized. It can be realized. It can be capitalized upon. And we have to take advantage of the time as believers. It doesn't make sense for us believers to just be people that waste time. Look, that means there is a time to relax. It does also mean there is a time to refresh. And it means that there's a time to be working. It means there's a time to be doing. There's a time to be focused. We have to be people that know what time it is. Do you know what time it is today as a Christian? Do you know what is appropriate for the day that we live in? Are you familiar with that? Can you say that you confidently know what the time is, what, what you should be doing right now? Or do you have a walk that is oblivious of time? We must be intentional if we are to walk wisely. We have to be. I love how the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. I love what it says there, Hosea 10, 12. It tells us about the time. Now, Hosea is one of those books that's back there where most people don't venture. So you're like, Hosea? What is that? Genesis? <laughs> Daniel, if you get to Daniel, it's right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it says, To sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, your hard ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Listen, gang, that's what the time is for. It is time to seek the Lord. We are living in a day and age where the ground is hard. There's not a whole lot of fruit growing up spiritually. It is a barren land when it comes to the spiritual things. What it is a time for, it is a time to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord today as believers. We need to gather together in prayer. We need to be praying that God would give us a fresh revival. That is where our minds are focused back on what the Spirit of God can do. It is a time to seek the Lord. And so back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, he tells us to walk in wisdom, to pay attention to the time. Look, the world will tell you that you have time. You could just live it up. What is that famous saying that you hear out in the world? They say, you only live once, right? You only live once. YOLO. You got to live it up, man. You only live it once. No, no, that's not, that's not the right way to think. I mean, it is true that we're only going to live once on this earth. And we will live into eternity. But that's not how we should live. We should be intentional. We should be careful with the time. 
Now he mentions also, he says in verse 6 of Colossians 4, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now I think every person here understands, because I think every person here likes to eat, how important salt is to a dish. Okay? When you don't have, when you have a lack of salt, man, it is the hardest thing to guzzle down your esophagus. The hardest thing. Because you're like, man, this is bland, it's nasty. Oh, you just need just a little pinch of salt. Please, just a little bit of salt. He says, this is how our communication needs to be. You see, look, gang, our communication is a direct reflection of our association. Communication is a direct reflection of our and of your association, who you belong to. They can tell that very clearly by what you're saying out of your mouth. This is why Paul says here, we have to communicate with grace, seasoned with salt, taking advantage of the time. So when people listen to us, they might become, number one, enhanced, number two, thirsty for more of what we have to say. So we go and speak around people. We're careful with our words. We're thinking about the right words to say at the right time. So many of us believers, we're bringing in just uh, foolish things to the discussion. We're bringing in frivolous things to the discussion, things that are not wholesome, things that, that are not beneficial. And so we bring in something to a conversation and it's like, you know, we're not adding anything. We're not enhancing. We're just taking away. But we have to be people that use our words sharply, specifically, wisely. And when we come in, we're thinking about what we should say. We're praying, Lord, just give me the right words at the right time. Let me make someone thirsty. Let me say something in such a way where they say, hey, can I talk to you afterwards? Yeah, sure, what's up? What was that that you were talking about? I didn't understand. Give us more opportunities like that, Lord. Let us be careful with our words. It's very hard to do to watch our tongue and let it be let it be seasoned uh, with grace. Very hard to do, especially when you're hanging out. And I remember we used to get in trouble all the time hanging out with our friends, and we hang out for a long time. And next thing you know, we're talking about people, or we're talking about this. And this. Next morning is inevitable. We get a ring. Ring, ring. Yeah, I just want to apologize for that conversation. And we, we, listen, after we did that for a number of years, we got tired of that. And so we would get together. We said, look, no, no repenting tomorrow. You know, so we're watching everybody. We're watching everybody's tongue. Like, come on, man. Let's bring it back to the middle. No, we don't want to be calling in the morning having to repent about this conversation. We got much, much better at that. But this is what Paul the Apostle says is that when you're walking around towards the unbelievers, you want to have your speech in such a way that is reflecting who you know. And can people tell that you know the Lord Jesus Christ by what you are saying? Can it, can it lead them automatically back to the Lord? That doesn't mean that you have to be unnatural. I'm going to tell you about the Lord. You know, I, want to, I want to share with you about the... You, you, no, no. We don't have to be unnatural. But we are careful. We're pointing at what we say. Look, before you get on the phone and you talk to that person, pray. Lord, please guide this conversation. 
before you go in and you start hanging out with those friends, Lord, God, my conversation, let it be led towards you, things that are wholesome, things that are beneficial. Get it to the point where they love having you around because you've always got the right words at the right time. That this is all about living with purpose in the Lord. You're not wasting time. You're using your time wisely. You're seeking the Lord. This is how the believers need to be. These are the new qualities. And so he goes on in verse 7 through 14 talking about his companions. He ends the, the letter up talking about his friends, his associates, those around him. And this is what I mean by walking with people of the Lord. Walking with the people of the Lord. This is what it's all about right here. Let me just say this before we even jump into verse 7. That we have a commonality today where it says to be alone is to be strong. Listen, that's wrong. That's not true. You are not stronger when you're by yourself. You see, people try to say, look, only the strong are going to survive. And if you're stronger than everybody else, you don't need anybody else. You can do this life all by yourself. That's wrong. Categorically wrong. And especially as a Christian, we cannot do it by ourselves. Walking alone will always lead to every kind of error and temptation. Always. Because you're weaker when you're by yourself. You're easier to be deceived. You can tell yourself anything. There's nobody else there to check you. And so we have to be careful with walking alone. And sometimes God may have us walking alone just for a certain point. Because you, in order for you to walk and swim upstream while everybody else is going downstream, you have to do it. You have to make the choice to do it yourself, to go it alone. But God will bring people alongside you so you're not by yourself in this thing that you're trying to do. The goal is that we're not walking by ourselves just thinking that I can handle it all by myself. Walking alone always leads to error and every kind of temptation. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 12 and 13. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, sin is deceitful. Evil comes in and tries to steal away our faith and belief in the Lord. The thing that protects us from that is walking with one another, is talking with one another, is warning one another, as long as today is called today. So we can protect against that. But the people that are not walking with others, that are walking alone, they can't protect against it. They are, they are just, uh, they're just food, man, for temptation. They're just prey. That's why we have to be with the believers. We have, to, we have to aim to be with the believers, seek to be with the believers as much as possible. We had a guy come here from a Calvary Chapel over in California, and um, I can't remember exactly where it was. He joined us one Wednesday night. And uh, man, he was so excited to get with the believers. He called me up uh, while I was at work. And he's like, is this passage of Sean? I'm like, yeah, it is. He's like, man, you know, I just, 
want to ask about the church. Like, can I come? Where's the time is Bible study? We start talking. Next thing you know, we have some similarities. We both like to cycle and all these things. He's getting real excited. He's like, well, I'm here visiting my sister because she just moved to the area. I don't know if I'm going to have time to make it out to Bible study, but we'll see. He calls me later on, 30 minutes before Bible study. I'm trying to come. I was, I was trying to give my sister some time to hang out with her. But she said, if you want to go to Bible study, maybe you should go. And he got here. He was so excited to be here. And he hung out afterwards for a little while. And then he told me, he said, you know, I'll be back in town around December and some other times. I just can't wait to get back with the believers. He was so excited just to be with the believers. That's how we have to be. Not trying to be alone. Get with the believers. So we can't be deceived. And so this man, Paul, always associated himself with people. People going in the same direction. Listen, a saint that is solitary is a saint that is around all types of controversy in their lives. We can't be solitary in our lives. We have to be associative with other people. We have to be around the believers. I just want to drive that home. Because there are many things in the world that work against us and say you got to be by yourself. And then I want you to see the type of believers that he finds himself around also. Because it's, it's not just any type of believers. It's, it's quality believers. Sound believers, spiritually speaking. Because you can be around people that are not healthy believers. And that is just to your detriment. It would destroy you. But you've got to be around people that are going to encourage you. People that are going to challenge you. Many of us don't want the challenges in our lives. See, if you get around somebody that just tells you what you want to hear, that's not going to be beneficial to you. You need to be around somebody that will encourage you, but will also challenge you. Man, every time I go around this brother, man, he's always talking about this verse and reading this. And, uh, you know, and I'm not reading. I'm not doing these things, but I, I know that it encourages me. I want to do more. Not Get away from those people. Get around those people. You know, when David, King David, was running from King Saul, it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, that he came to Abimelech, the, the priest at the time, or Ahimelech, one of those two. He came to the priest, and the priest asked him a question. Why are you by yourself? You see, David was a man that was of a stature in Israel. Whenever... The Lord was with him. So wherever he was, he was always with people. People that are like-minded. When the priest saw him there by himself, there was a problem. Like, well, hold on a minute. Why are you by yourself? What, what is going on? And David began to offer up a couple of fibs and lies to cover his tracks. Of course, he was on a run from Saul, not because of anything he did, but he didn't know what to do at the time. He was by himself. And that led to him going over to the Philistines and spitting on his beard and acting like he was a fool and then being in the cave of Adilam and you now he's isolated and that's not what God wanted for him. In times past, you have to go back and do this research. I just realized that in times past, the first time King Saul wanted to kill David, he ran to Samuel immediately and he spent time with Samuel. And Saul tried to come there and they all... They all got caught up with the Lord and they, they couldn't do anything. But this time around, 
He didn't run to Samuel. Samuel was still alive. What happened? He was running alone. Solitary. What we find here in Colossians chapter 4, 7-14 is the longest list throughout Paul's letters of his associates. It rivals maybe one other list. That's in Romans chapter 16. When he wrote that letter to the Romans, he also had a long list. But Romans and, and Colossians here is a very long list of things that are going on with his associates. He mentions in verse 7, he says, All my state of Colossians chapter 4 shall Tukikos declare to you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent to you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known to you all the things which are done here. So Tukikas was a guy, or Tychicus, however you want to say it. He was a guy that had been around Paul for a while. You could read in Acts chapter 20. He was there possibly with his brother named Trophimus, maybe. But he was always around Paul, and he had been around him for a while. All the way through his imprisonment and up until his, his imprisonment and incarceration at Rome. And so Tukikas was a faithful brother. This was a man that can do what you're asking him to do. And so he said that Tukikas will ca carry the letter for me and bring it to you. He's the one that's bearing the letter. Him and this man named Onesimus. His name means useful. It's a man that's useful. It's a man that, you know, you can depend upon. Onesimus. Yes, this is the same Onesimus that Paul writes later to Philemon to accept back. He was the runaway slave, if you want to call it. And so remember that Rome was probably about 50% slave, 50% free. And the slave back then was a little different. It, was, it wasn't like what you think of, you know, naturally in our minds. It was regular occupations, doctors, architects, whatever, uh, farmers. Uh, you, you were slaves. And it was very hard to become a citizen in those days, very expensive. But Onesimus was a slave of Philemon who also happened possibly to be part of this church in Colossae. So Onesimus here somehow met Paul while he was in Rome, possibly, and he becomes very useful to him. Well, he sends him back with Tukikos, back to Colossae with this letter. He's like, these are my companions right here. They shall make known to you all things which are done here. Then he goes into verse 10. He says, Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, or Marcus, uh, the cousin to Barnabas, concerning whom you have received commandments. If he comes to you, receive him. Uh, if you have the King James Version, it says sister's son, but that can be translated in the Greek cousin. So the cousin there to Barnabas, he says, concerning whom you have received instructions or commandments. If he comes, receive him. Then he says in verse 11, and Jesus uh, not the Lord, but that was a common name during that time. Uh, Yeshua, very common name. It says, in Jesus, which is called Justice, Eustus, uh, J-U-S-T-U-S. Yes, just, that's where we got that name. He says, in Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers to the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. Aristarchus, Mark, justice. These guys have been a comfort. 
He said, these are my fellow laborers, my workers. Aristarchus, he says, my fellow prisoner. Maybe he was in prison with Paul. They were companions for Christ. Then he goes on, he says, Epaphras, in verse 12, which is one of you, a servant of Christ. So now it tells us that Epaphras is possibly a Colossian. He says he's one of you. He's from Colossae. He says he's a servant of Christ. He greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Look, how good is it to have a friend that's going to stand in the gap for you? How good is it to have a friend that will pray for you without you asking? I love receiving texts from friends that say, I'm praying for you right now. Yes. Then the other part of me says, man, Lord, what's about to come around the bend? What's happening? You almost want to write back and say, stop praying. What are you saying? What are you thinking? What's happening? But I love to have friends that are praying for me, that are standing in a gap for me, that tells me, I'm praying for you. I'm seeking the Lord for you. But what a great boon that is to my spirit. And I'm sure it was to the Colossians. It says that this guy labors fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are at Laodicea and them in Heropolis. He says, this guy Epaphras is praying. He desires you to be complete in Jesus Christ, to be mature in Jesus Christ. This is a man that is for you. You ever feel like that? Like, I have nobody for me. It's just me. I'm by myself. What a great encouragement to know that you're not by yourself, that there's a person for you. Though he can't even see you hundreds of miles away, this man is laboring for you fervently, praying for you. I need those types of friends. I want those types of friends in my life. Because those are the people that are going to care about me spiritually. Those are the people that are going to be with me spiritually. Sometimes in my toughest times. And those are the ones that will be with me in the times I rejoice. These are the believers that will be with us when we stand in heaven. And we're all gathered together, sitting around a table, eating as much as we want. Because our stomachs won't to stand or nothing like that. We're just you'd be able to eat as much. Just stay at the table. We have new bodies, guys. Don't try that right now, though. And he says, "And uh, them in Laodicea and Heropolis." So remember, this was a triad city. So you had Colossae, you had Laodicea, and you had Heropolis. These three cities were connected. And so he tells them. That he's praying for all these people. And that, that makes sense. That's almost like if you were from Valdosta, you would have a heart for Thomasville, Georgia. You might have a heart for Adel, Georgia, or Tifton, Georgia, or just Georgia in general. Atlanta. It's like, this is your state. And that's how he felt. Colossae is my place. And Laodicea is my I'm praying for all the believers there. That's beautiful right there. And then he goes on and says, Luke, the beloved physician and demons, they also greet you. Look at these people here that he mentions. Just a bunch of companions. But these, these companions, the qualities, they outweigh just a regular associate. Look, these are friends that can carry messages of encouragement. You have Tukikas, you have Onesimus, these, these are friends that can carry consolation, encouragement to other people. 
Those are the type of friends you need to have around. Friends that carry consolation. Not friends that just want to bring you bad news. Hey, man, I just want to talk to you, bro. Man, my life is just so tough. Don't surround yourself with that. Surround yourself with people that bring encouragement. This is what Paul did. Then he goes on and he mentions Aristarchus. And he mentions Mark. And he mentions justice. He says, these are people that bring comfort to me. Look, have friends and associates around you that will carry comfort. Have friends that carry consolation. Have friends that carry comfort. They can comfort your soul. Because they're in the trenches with you. They're not people that just can't relate to you. They're in the trenches. Which is pretty interesting too about Mark. I didn't mention anything about that in verse 10. But you can read there in the book of Acts that Mark had, uh, you know, he left Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And Paul wasn't really fond of that guy very early on in his ministry. But later on, he became very, very important to him. And so, look, you've you got to have people that can comfort your heart. Comfort your heart. Not just when you're feeling down, but talking about the things of the Lord. Stirring you up. That brings comfort. Lastly, you need to have friends that can also carry the cares that you hold on to, the burdens. He had Epaphras around him, some man that was carrying the burdens of the Colossians, praying for them. He had Luke around him, a doctor, a physician. He cared about Paul, probably took care of him. He met him a long time ago, but he was still with him. He says Demas. We don't know much about Demas, but... He may have been related to Luke. Sometimes people believe that. We just don't know. But this man was Paul's companion also. And these people, they carried the cares, the burdens. What type of friends do you have? Do you have those type of friends that can carry your consolations and your comforts and your cares? Those are the type of people we want to surround ourselves with. We want to walk with people of the Lord. Hey, lastly, he goes on and he says, Greet the brothers that are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. Now this is a con- this is not controversial, but when you look at the, the Greek text for this right here, Nymphus, the name actually means bridegroom, but it is a feminine noun. And so some of your Bibles might say the church which is in her house. The King James says the church which is in his house. I don't know. But what we do know is that there was a church there in Laodicea. Let's just leave it at that. Okay? And Nymphus was probably the host. Alright? And so he says, greet that that church in, in Laodicea. And we know that there was a church there because in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus addressed the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3. So in verse 16, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you fulfill it. The greeting by the hand of me, Paul, the salutation by me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you, amen. Remember I said lastly, focus with passion for the Lord. Look, he mentioned all these things that we have gone over from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way now to chapter 4, verse 18. And he now only mentions Archippus. He did never mention him at all. But this is the leader of the fellowship. And notice what he says to 
Archippus. He says, take heed to the ministry that you have received of the Lord and fulfill it, complete what God has given you. He says, take heed. Again, a careful, you know, if we're going to, listen, from, from the standpoint of our calling, what God has asked us to do, think about ministry. Sometimes we think ministry is just serving in a church. It could be, ministry could be anything. Serving the Lord. That's what the word means, to serve. And this man, Archippus, was called to be concentrated on his calling. Because if you're concentrated on the thing that God gives you, you will be able to execute and fulfill. This guy was concentrated on his calling. Successful execution of the calling is dependent on a mindful concentration of the calling. And this is where Archippus is. He says, concentrate on the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Concentrate on it. That, that puts your passions and your focus directly upon what God has asked you to do. Has God asked you to do anything? If he hasn't, you should seek him. Because you, your life is not happenstance. You know, God wants you to live with a purpose. But these are the new qualities you have to live with passion for what he has called you to do. And so he tells them, you have received this ministry in the Lord. This is what God has given to you. Listen, passion is really only effective when you have direction. Okay, you, passion without direction is none other than zeal without knowledge. So you've you got to have a fervency and a passion, but you've got to have direction with that. Because in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, it says that the person that has just zeal without knowledge might move too quickly and go the wrong way. So you've got to have passion with direction. So you know what he wants you to do. Archippus received it. He, had, he, he was given and exhorted to have passion, concentrate on what God is telling you to do, and direction, the ministry that you have received of the Lord. Do it. Fulfill it. This is not just a verse for pastors. This is a verse for any believer that is walking with the Lord. God has given something for you to do. And sometimes it's, just look at the state that you're in in life right now. That is what you need to determine what you need to do. You know, if you're in school right now, let that be your passion. Concentrate on it. But then while you're there, concentrate on those around you. Because God put you there for a reason. That there might be people that are in your class. And need the Lord. And need Him. And need to walk with Him. And one of my sons here has met one of these kids at the co-op. And this kid, uh, he seemed to be, you know, he's just out there just walking around. But now he's in my class. I teach at the co-op um, every other week. And he's in my class. And, and he said something to me two weeks ago. He said, I want to learn I was telling him about reading the scriptures and really being a Christian. And, and he just blurted out and said, I want to read the scriptures too, every day. I want to learn more about Jesus. I was like, wow. I mean, it was a declaration that was coming from his heart. But my son was around him. And so what I'm saying is, he was talking to him first. That probably was from my son talking to him first and just maybe something that was there that the Lord was doing. Look, wherever you are, in your state, look around, look around you, 
Let that be your ministry. Let God use you in your job. Let that be your ministry. Let God use you. Let your words be seasoned with grace. As we close, we went all the way through the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 18. And as we went through this book, we concentrated on the cornerstone. And we know that the Christian's greatest need is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Philippians chapter 2, that talks to us about that cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. And we should see the value of this cornerstone because we went through the scriptures. We should also be able to go back and reference this stone that helps us align our lives right. We need to also uh, see first and foremost uh, what the Lord does for us, what he he brings in our lives, the, the new identity, the new community, the new qualities, disciplines of a Christian. This is the book of Colossians. This is what we have studied over the past eight weeks. And it's exciting to know that we just got so much information and we don't want that to just stop in our brains. We want it to flow down into our hearts. So until we come again, God willing, next week, we'll pick up in the book of Philemon. That's one chapter. It might be shorter than eight weeks. We'll see. But, uh, but you know, we'll come ready to hear what the Lord has to say to us as we close out the prison epistle. We have heard of the importance of living with purpose, walking with the people of the Lord, and a focus with passion for the Lord. Today's message completes our journey through the book of Colossians at Calvary Chapel, Valdosta. We hope that this series has positively impacted your faith and life, pointing you to Jesus Christ, our greatest need. For more information, visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com, which has information about the ministry and pastor, in addition to an archive of previous sermons. You can also follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta, or reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. Now, let us prepare for the closing prayer. Let's, Let's pray together. Thank you for the word this morning, Lord. Thank you for the book of Colossians and all the examples of of how to live with purpose in the Lord and how to walk with the people of the Lord and how to have a passion about what you call us to. I just ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our lives, Lord, that we don't have the will to do any of this information that we found in your word this morning, but we'll be able to put it into practice with the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and thank you for choosing us and choosing us this day to hear this message. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.